keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic drive time. Welcome to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. And today is Wednesday, March 1st, 2023. It's the feast of St. Casimir, who was a prince of Poland, who was born at Royal Palace of Krakow in 1458. He was a son of King Casimir IV and Queen Elizabeth of Habsburg. Ooh, interesting. As at a young age, Casimir was appointed to govern Poland while his father went to Lithuania. He ruled with prudence and justice, earning the respect of his people. And despite pressure from his father to marry the daughter of Frederick III, he chose to remain single and devote his life to God. He lived in the royal court and set an example for others with his pious and virtuous life. He fell ill in 1483 and died at the court of Grondo on March 3rd, 1484, at the age of 25. He was later canonized by Pope Adrian VI in 1522 and is now the patron saint of Poland-Lithuania. His life is a testament to the fact that sanctity can be achieved in any environment, not just in religious life, his example shows that lay people can become saints and that living in a royal court does not necessarily mean one must abandon one's faith. You hear that? You could be a saintly prince and king. Praise be to God. St. Casimir, pray for us. Today is, in fact, Ember Wednesday. If you're not familiar with the Ember Weeks, we're going to talk about that at 15 past the hour. And we're going to discuss what is an Ember Day and why... You should celebrate the Ember Days today. I think it would be very beneficial to you, to me, and to the entirety of the world. Uh, good morning to you, Tito Edwards. Do you celebrate the Ember Days? I do when uh, I attend Mass. It reminds me of Ember Days, but uh, yes, I forgot. That's my bad. There you go. See, I'm reminding you, reminding everybody. Remember, today is, in fact, an Ember Day and a Holy Day of Opportunity where today is a day where you don't have to go to Mass, but you certainly can. A holy day of opportunity. Well, good morning to you. How was work on Tuesday? I'm sure it gave you many opportunities to exercise the virtue of patience and forgiveness, right? Uh, other people are the most uh, are, the, are the ultimate opportunity for that kind of thing, right, Tito? Oh, yes. Especially when you're driving in traffic, you can practice the, the virtue of patience by finding the slowest car in your lane <laughs> and driving behind them until you turn off. No, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. That is uh, some supernatural virtue right there. If, if someone Imagine doing that for Lent, saying, I am going to drive behind the slowest car on the freeway for Lent this year. I, I no, think, don't do it. It's too extreme. It's too extreme. I got that idea from a priest when he was trying to help uh, help people uh, develop their virtues, and he said, when you're driving, if you see a slow car, drive behind it and do it every day for a week. Oh, well, sorry, Father, I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, trying to drive under 110 is difficult for me. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, Jesus Ro Officer Robles, please do not come to my house. Uh, there you go. But good morning to everybody, the uh, people who are watching online. We have a our audience on YouTube, Rumble, Facebook, Odyssey. It's uh, great to see everybody there. Good morning to you. At the at 30 past the hour on the 7 o'clock Central Time hour, we hop off of our off the radio, but we stay on on our live stream uh, social media feeds. 
And when we're there on the social media feeds, we interact with you directly. So you are always welcome to hop on with us at 30 past the next hour, and we will chat with you directly, answering your questions, comments, or concerns, soapboxes, negativities, positivities, or anything in between. And so this morning, we're going to be covering at 15 past the hour, the MS-13 gang. Have you heard of them? They were in the news all over the place a couple years ago, but... I haven't heard about them in a little while. It's been it's been a minute. And we're going to talk about a solution to these horrific crimes. We're also going to talk about the Ember Days, why they're important, and why you should use that Holy Day of Opportunity to the best of your ability. At 30 past the hour, Edward Pinton was going to be on with us to discuss discuss the rescript with from Cardinal Roche. Also, uh, what is a rescript? We're going to ask Edward Pinton at 30 past the hour. And in the next hour, we're going to have our game show, Fear and Trembling, where we are going to give away prizes. So make sure you tune in for the whole show. You're not going to miss not one moment of it. But let's jump in with prayer, as is our custom. We're going to be praying for your intentions. We're going to be praying for your friends, family, benefactors, for all those we promise to pray for, for this, those people in Ohio that they recover well, and for the uh, opportunity of the intentions of Ember Wednesday which y'all will find out about what that is at 15 past the hour. But let's begin. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known, that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession, was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now your headline news with Tito Edwards. Today is Wednesday, March 1st, and these are your headlines for this morning. Damien Fisher at Our Sunday Visitor reports prosecutors are challenging the medical report claiming former Cardinal Theodore McCarrick is not competent to stand trial on charges he sexually abused teen in the 70s. McCarrick, once one of the most powerful clerics in the Catholic Church known for his fundraising prowess, has been accused of sexually abusing both adult and child victims over decades, a scandal that burst into public in 2018. After the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith found McCarrick guilty of abuse in 2019, he was laicized by Pope Francis. Elise Ann Allen at Crux reports, at the start of this their spring plenary assembly, the leader of the German Bishops' Conference told reporters that they are essentially ignoring a Vatican veto on a new governing body for the church in Germany and that plans are moving ahead regardless. The German synod quickly diverted from church teaching and grew contentious over outspoken calls by leaders in the discussion, including lay people and bishops, for women to be ordained priests and for priests to administer blessings to same-sex couples. Vatican News reports Pope Francis has issued a motu proprio cutting the pay of Vatican workers. The Pope has also ordered an immediate stop to the housing subsidies that Vatican prelates have received ruling that they must pay market-level rent for properties owned by the Vatican. Any exceptions must be approved by the Pope himself. Also, the modu proprio freezes the automatic pay raises granted to employees based on seniority except for lay people in the lower-paying categories. 
And finally, Catholic Port reports the American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists were abruptly banned from an annual medical conference days before the event. Most of this pro-life doctors group already were at the event when they discovered what they were canceled. I am Tito Edwards, and these are today's headlines through a Catholic lens. The Gospel of the Day comes from Luke chapter 11, verses 29 through 32. The multitudes gathered round him, and he began speaking to them thus. This is a wicked generation. It asked for a sign, and the only sign that will be given to it is the sign of the prophet Jonas. Jonas was the sign given to the man of Nineveh. The sign given to this generation will be the son of man. The queen of the south will rise up with the men of this generation at the judgment and will leave them without excuse. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up with this generation at the judgment and will leave it without excuse. For they did penance when Jonas preached to them. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Jonas, just so you all know, in the, in the Knox translation of the Bible, Jonas is actually Jonah. So if you know Jonah and the well, that's what he's referring to there. The commentary from Cornelius Alapide, he says he answered and said that an evil generation, and that is a generation, an adulterous one, a faithless and unbelieving, because leaving God, who is their husband, to whom they had been betrothed by circumcision, they claimed to the devil. Hence, infidelity and idolatry are often called adultery by Ezekiel. Jonah clearly showed who I am, when, why I died, why I am crucified, in respect of which they are offended. In truth, that I am the Messiah, the tamer of death and sin, the Savior of the world, and the Lord of heaven and earth. For the keepers of the sepulcher told the Jews that Christ was risen from the tomb. The Jews themselves saw the empty sepulcher, and the apostles proved Christ's resurrection by many miracles. Wherefore, many Jews at the time and afterwards, all nations believed in Christ raised from the dead. For the Jews did not expect a humble and poor Messiah, but one who was rich and glorious, such as beheld Christ in his resurrection, ascension, and mission above the Holy Ghost. Whence they at the time acknowledged him and accepted him as Messiah, according to what was said in John 8:28, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man on the cross, then ye shall know that I am he, for I shall rise gloriously from the cross in death. Very interesting. And he goes on to talk about the Ninevites. He says here that the Ninevites are just like the Jews. Except the difference being the Ninevites repented because when our Lord appeared to the Ninevite or to the, to the Jews and expressed all these miracles and showed them and preached to them the truth, very few of them actually turned to follow Christ. Yet whenever Jonah went to the Ninevites, Jonah, remember, did not really want them to repent because he hated the Ninevites. And he wanted them to remain in their wickedness so God would smite them. Yet what happened? Jonah, by preaching to them, by showing forth the message of the gospel, without performing any miracles. He didn't perform miracles. He didn't do any of these things that our Lord did. Yet the Ninevites heard him and repented and put on sackcloth and ashes and did penance for their sins. 
And yet, what do the Jews do in response to our Lord's preaching? They crucify him. For as Jonah was in the heart, in the lowest part of the earth, within the earth, as the heart is within the human body, when Christ died upon the cross, as his body was placed in the tomb, so did his soul descend into the limbus patrum, or the limbo of the fathers, which is near the center of the earth. You ask how Christ was three days and nights in the sepulcher and limbus, for he was there only on Friday, Saturday nights, and rose at daybreak on Sunday. So he's saying, wait, if Jonah was in the well for three days, then how does that correspond with our Lord being in the tomb for three days if our Lord was only there for two days on Friday, Saturday, then woke up on Sunday? How does that math add up? Well, Cornelius Lapide says, I say then that the expression of three days and three nights is here only a, a peripherous and description of a natural day. The two integral parts of a day are the day and night or light and darkness. Christ makes use of the peripherous because Jonah, his antitype, did the same in Jonah 1.17. He was buried on Friday before sunset and was in the tomb until midnight of that day. And then he was in the tomb during the entire day and night of the Sabbath. And from midnight of Sunday for about six hours until the dawning of the Lord's day on which he rose. For the Passover was at the time about the equinox when the day and nights are equal, each being about 12 hours. But the soul of Christ immediately when he expired upon the cross at the ninth hour at three o'clock of the afternoon about descended into Limbus and there remained with the fathers until the dawn of Easter day. So he's saying, okay, well, that makes up the, the, the structure for that time. Now, one last thing of worthy of note is that therefore, and this is very, very practical of Cornelius Lapide brings us up as a very practical thing that we need to keep in mind when we are thinking of our Lord appearance and his relationship to Jonah. He said, therefore, let priest, religious, and others who are abundantly supplied with God's grace, take heed that they use it rightly and diligently. For otherwise, the more they have received, the more severely will they be punished. Yea, in the days of judgment, laymen will triumph over them, even as heathens and Turks will abrade bad Christians. Because if they had had their graces, they would have lived far more holy, holier and religiously. This is very important for us to keep in mind because to much who is given, much is expected. So if God grants us the grace to be Christians, if God grants us the grace to know the truth, to be exposed to the gospel, then he's going to expect us to live according to it in a much higher way. He expects great charity from us. So are you living up to that standard? If not, maybe it's time to re-examine. We'll be right back. Hey, Donnie, what does the catechism say that the purpose of life is? No love and serve God to be happy in the next. That's right. So we can be happy with him in the next life. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. 
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question. Why is your Protestant Bible four ounces lighter than my Catholic Bible? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, a faulty scale? Nope. Well, maybe it's just the weight of the paper or the cover or the binding or some introductory comments. We wish it were just that simple. No, it's the seven books that got dismissed by team Martin Luther. Secondly, audacity. Audacity allowed Luther and others to extract time-tested truths of Scripture and key letters from the canon. What? Yes, about 1,200 years after the Bible canon was fully established, they rejected seven Old Testament books. Not only that, Luther placed the New Testament books of James and Jude, Hebrews and Revelation in a category called, quote, the disputed books. And thirdly, a pesky comeback. If I were to write a deeply personal letter to my wife regarding our future descendants, don't be taking seven of my choice paragraphs out of that letter. Why? You might be robbing those future descendants of a little bit of who Papa was. Now, don't you do that. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca, and it's so good to be on with you today. Praise be to God. Thank you very much for joining us. It's so good to be here. You know, there's a lot of things that are going on in the world, and some of it it's pretty negative, pretty bad. And that's not fun, right? So at half past this segment, so approximately about 25 past the hour, maybe 20 past the hour, somewhere around there, we're going to discuss Ember Days. These are holy days of opportunity, and I'm going to explain to you what they are, why they matter to us, and how you can participate. I'm going to be participating in the Ember Day today. There's three Ember Days this week. And I highly encourage you to take advantage of this Holy Day of Opportunity. But first, I want to talk about this story. I was, I was hearing about the, what was going on in El Salvador, where they locked up thousands of the MS-13 gang members, which I was like, this is great. And so I heard about that story, and I was going to look up some information about the story to find out more information about it. And I was shocked. Instead of finding that story, it was like four stories down. I found these stories ahead of it when I looked up MS-13. Concord MS-13 murder trial starts with recounting 2017 shooting gang rivalry. The victim, a 17-year-old Lawrence Jansen, was shot and killed by an aspiring MS-13 member who wanted to start a gang subset in the East Bay, according to prosecutors. He, 24-year-old Kirsten Tim Ucheta is charged with murdering 17-year-old Lawrence Jansen in a 2017 shooting outside Olympic High School in Concord. Prosecutors say it was a culmination of violent acts committed by him and others who were working to start their own MS-13 subset in Concord, but needed approval from an established clique in San Francisco. There's so much to unpack in that sentence. They have to prove to the gang that they're willing to commit acts of violence, says Deputy District Attorney Kevin Bell at the start of the trial on Monday morning. The fistfights that Ucheta and his friends had been committing weren't enough. In 2017, weeks before allegedly fatally shooting Jansen, Ucheta shot and wounded a homeless woman at Ellis Lake Park in Concord while aiming at some people who were wearing red. It's because red is a color of a rival gang. But these people were not people of rival game. They were just people wearing red. This is very concerning. Ocheta and his friends used two cards to film the shooting so they could show MS-13 members in San Francisco to prove their worth. I will conclude that story there. 
not because it's not important and that there's not more to be said about it, but instead because this is another story I found immediately after. The House Judiciary GOP launched an investigation into the gruesome rape and murder of a 20-year-old Maryland woman by an alleged MS-13 gang member who crossed the border as an unaccompanied minor. On January 15th, the letter notes that Maryland police arrested 17-year-old illegal alien and known MS-13 member from El Salvador for the violent assault and murder of 20-year-old Maryland resident Kayla Hamilton. Press reports say that the suspect entered U.S. in Rio Grande City, Texas, as an unaccompanied alien child and identified as a woman living in Frederick, Maryland, as his aunt. That's very, very concerning. It says that the Biden administration open border policies have created vulnerabilities that criminal aliens and gang members exploit to the detriment of American citizens. This is that was very concerning to me. So it was very encouraging to me whenever I saw this story that came up. The government of El Salvador has opened up the world's largest prison as part of the country's major crackdown on MS-13 gang a move that country's president said was the opposite response to how the United States was protecting criminals. I thought it's very interesting that the El Salvador president is calling out us here at the United States. Very interesting to me. A first group of 2,000 detainees are moved to the mega prison terrorist confinement center on February 24th. And the, the, it came out as announced the state of exception in March 2022 over 62,000 suspected gang members have been arrested. 62,000 gang members arrested. In one Saturday alone, before this happened, 65 homicides were ha- happened on one Saturday alone with a country of a population of 6.5 million citizens. Some of us here live in cities with a greater population than that. A poll of Sid Gallup last year found that 91% of those surveyed supported the more aggressive crackdown, Bloomberg reports. In America, in the United States, New York actually charged with terrorism charges against 14 of the gang leaders in 2021, the New York Times reports. So that's that's a positive thing. And finally, the after this happened, El Salvador witnessed a 56.8% decrease in murder rate last year. What can we learn from this? We can learn that punishing criminals works. And we shouldn't let criminals roam free. Uh, Michael Knowles was making this point the other day about this very situation. He was saying, what kind of miracle program is this that's reducing crime this much? Well, it's very simple, right? You're punishing criminals. You're enforcing the law. Absolutely. Putting prisoners, putting criminals in prisons uh, really does work. And the spike in violence and crime that has occurred since the pandemic coincides with many uh, of big city DAs uh, minimizing or reducing sentences or letting criminals off before their trial because of equity. Equity. They believe there's systemic racism in the U.S., so they want to balance the numbers. Unfortunately, Americans of African heritage, which makes up roughly 17% of the U.S. population, approximately also make up 33% of incarcerations. And so they want to balance that number down, but because of uh, systemic racism. But that's not how you solve a problem like that. It's a deep problem, and a quick band-aid is putting them in prisons. A bigger band-aid or solution is ensuring that 
fathers and mothers stay together to raise their children, and the fathers become role models to their young children, both little girls and little boys. Studies have proven to show that little girls and little boys look up to the father and emulate him when they grow up. So, yeah, the Michael Knowles, as his comment on it said that they create a very slick and highly produced propaganda video humiliating them, and then he put out that, that out there for all the world to see. They said that this is contrasted against the American way where we in the United States need to follow the lead of the government of El Salvador. We need to be clear that if you commit crimes, you will be punished for it. He says what, we, what he is showing us is that the law is a teacher. We've known that all the way back to the ancient Greeks. When the law sends an army to your door and rounds up your gang like and the animals they are, you're going to get fewer gangsters and they're going to commit fewer crimes. This is very important because we forget that cr- punishment of crime whether it be capital punishment, whether it be imprisonment, whether it be corporal punishment, whatever the punishment is, there are. it's not simply to reform the criminal, which is kind of what most people see as the purpose of punishment, is to make, uh, make them better people, but also it's to protect the people around them. That's also not the fundamental reason. The fundamental reason of punishment is justice. When you commit a crime against someone, justice must be served. The greater the crime, the greater the punishment that corresponds to the crime. And we look at our Lord and on the cross and the thieves beside him as an example of this. The thieves on the side of him, one accepted his just punishment and repented. And he was told, today you'll be with me in the paradise. The other criminal, same punishment, but instead he blasphemes our Lord. And what happens to him? He's attacked. According to tradition, he's attacked by birds. His eyes plucked out by ravens. This is very, very wicked for these criminals to do evil things. And so they must receive their punishment. Notice the good thief doesn't say, oh, I repented. Therefore, let me free. No, he says, I deserve this. So despite the fact that someone repents or doesn't repent, justice must be served. And the disposition of the criminal can be their salvation. If they accept their punishment justly and repent of it, their imprisonment, their execution, their corporal punishment, whatever the punishment may be, can be salvific for them. That's very important to keep in mind. But I said we're going to talk about Ember Days. Uh, Tito, are you familiar with with Ember Days? A little bit. Uh, I believe Ember Days is supposed to reflect a, a burning coal that's just run out of burning, but it still has a bit of ember in it. So it's, 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 it's already cooling. And it's, it's, I believe it represents what we're doing in Lent, where we're dying to ourselves as a coal is dying, because well, we're trying to prepare for Easter. That's a, that's a pretty good analogy. But the, uh, the word ember days actually doesn't come from the word ember. It's kind of funny. It's actually a corruption of the Latin word, which is quatuor tempora, which I think is hilarious because it doesn't sound like it at all. But it's a corruption of, of that, which means the, the four times. Because ah. four times a year, you have ember days. So it happens around the Feast of St. Lucy is the other time, one of the other times that it happens. So it happens four times a year. Uh, there's around Pentecost. And it's these days of Wednesday... Friday and Saturday. So it's three days. These are ember tide. So today, this coming Friday, and this coming Saturday. And on those days, there are days that you set aside 
in order to do prayer and fasting. And so on those days, you do prayer and fasting for what reason? Well, the reasons are a few fold. One, in thanksgiving for God to give us the harvest, and so the, the food that we receive. And two, in order to ask God to bless our harvest, which I think is very apropos to today because we're having all these food shortages. We're having all these problems with eggs and, and beef and all these problems with our food production. And so that's a really good reason to be praying for those things. And three, for vocations. Yes, they were days set aside for vocation. And in fact, it was a day that was set aside that you could even do ordinations on those times. With Normally, those are reserved to be during the season of Easter. and But the exception was made that you could also do it during Embertide because of how associated it is with vocations. I love it. Now, it's also interesting because Pope Gregory the Great and for I'm sorry, Leo the Great in 440 to 461, he said that the celebration of Embertide is actually of apostolic origin. He said that means it goes back to the apostles themselves, that they were celebrating this Embertide. That's pretty amazing. And so I want to invite you to celebrate the Embertide with me. And this is not a holy day of obligation. You're not required to do anything, but See it as a holy day of opportunity. What can you do today? Can you make it to Mass? Can you make it to Mass Friday or Saturday? Maybe you can't make it to all three Masses. Maybe can you do one of them? Uh, maybe you can offer up an extra penance today, a little extra prayer, prayer for these int- particular intentions. Maybe offer up your rosary for these three intentions and thanksgiving for the harvest and praying for a good harvest to come and praying for a harvest of vocations to the priesthood and the religious life. We need that more than ever. So maybe make that your intention today. It'll be such a blessing to set aside these times of year. It's only four times a year. Uh, This Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday is one time. And I'll bring up whenever it comes back around. But what an opportunity. What a glorious opportunity to spend that time dedicated to God and to vocations and to Thanksgiving. So maybe we'll talk a little bit more about Ember Days in the next hour. But coming up, we have Edward Penton. We're going to talk about the rescript from Cardinal Roche. Do you even know what a rescript is? I don't really think I know. I'm kind of confused. I'm going to ask on the other side of the break. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Your only daughter met a fine young man who was a committed Mormon. She now wants to join his church. What's your answer? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, a reason for no. Doctrinal positions such as the deity of Jesus and the Trinity. Your reason for yes. You deem seemingly moral character as superseding biblical truth. Secondly, orthodoxy. Your answer is probably no. But how and why? Your resistance to Mormon doctrine does not just come straight down from the Bible. It comes from the first five centuries of brilliant theologians, bishops, and popes. These Catholics wrote, debated, and fought for truth. Example, in 250 A.D., 311, and 417, three different popes excommunicated three different heretics, Sibelius, Arius, and Pelagius. They denied the Trinity, the eternal deity of Jesus, or taught that human effort warranted salvation. Would your pastor excommunicate a heretic? Well, unfortunately, your pastor can only remove someone from his local congregation. But that's okay. That guy will probably end up being welcomed in a church down the street. I've been listening to Guadalupe Radio for a couple years now, and I think it was a bumper sticker I saw on somebody's car one time, and it's a radio station that I don't have to be concerned about or worried about. When the kids and I are driving, I don't have to worry about inappropriate items. 
It's just the opposite. It's educational. I've learned so many different topics and on different subjects that I couldn't believe being a Catholic and being baptized as a child. There's so many things I didn't know. And now in these past couple of years that I've been listening in, I've learned so much. Welcome back to the Catholic Drive Time Show. Today is Wednesday, March 1st, 2023, and these are your headlines for today. Catholic World News report, an American bishop has taken the extraordinary step of charging another American prelate, a cardinal, in fact, with heresy. In a provocative article posted by First Things, Bishop Thomas Paprocki of Springfield, Illinois, has suggested that an American cardinal is guilty of heresy and has separated himself from communion with the Catholic Church. Although he does not mention Cardinal Robert McElroy by name, Bishop Paprocki opens his essay by quoting two passages from a recent article that the cardinal published in America magazine. Quote, until recently... It would be hard to imagine any successor of the apostles making such heterodox statements. End quote. Nangala Kilian Chimtom at Crux reports bishops in Nigeria have questioned the transparency of elections where Bola Ahmed Tinubu was declared the winner of the presidential contest on Wednesday. Tinubu was the candidate for the ruling All Progressive Congress and will succeed President Mohamud Buhari. Opposition parties and other observers have described the election as a sham and are calling for a fresh poll. Shafiq Kokar at Asia News reports that the Pakistan Supreme Court will hear the case of a Christian jailed for 21 years for blasphemy. Anwar Kenneth, a Christian man from Lahore, has been on death row for 21 years following his conviction of blasphemy for defending Christianity in exchange with an, a local Islamic leader in the aftermath of the attacks of 9-11. John Lavenberg at Crux reports Mississippi extends Medicaid benefits for postpartum care. Answering a recent call from the state's bishops, Mississippi state legislatures advanced a bill that would extend Medicaid coverage for a new mother from 60 days to a full year after they give birth. This simply changes... <clears throat> this simple change simply saves the lives of mothers at a minimal cost to Mississippi taxpayers. I'm Tito Edwards, and these are today's headlines through a Catholic lens. Thank you, Tito, for keeping us up to date. Before we jump in, are you signed up for our email list? If you ha are not signed up for our email list, you need to go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT. When you do, you get unique content from us every Friday. Every Friday, I send you something that is beneficial to you, that is not necessarily related to Catholic Drive Time itself. Plus, we give you a recap of some other videos and things that we have been producing throughout the week. So you're going to make sure you are on that email list. Go to grnonline.com forward slash CDT to get signed up. But joining us right now is Edward Pinton. He's a Rome correspondent for the National Catholic Register and a regular contributor to EWTN programs. Uh, good morning to you, Mr. Pinton. Good morning, Adrian. Good morning. Uh, yeah, praise be to God. Uh, glad to have you on this morning. You know, there's a lot of things that are happening in the Vatican that is just, it's just constant news. But I want to focus in on the rescript that came from Cardinal Roche and just for those who don't know, including myself, because I was trying to wrap my head around the different documents' names, and I've never heard a document from the Vatican called a rescript before. 
Is this, uh, some people were saying that it's simply a transcribing of the event, or is this actually have canonical weight? What is a rescript exactly? Well, a rescript is is a, is a sort of, uh, I suppose the best way to put it is a kind of minor papal decree in the sense that um, it does have a certain weight, authority that the Pope issues. It's not as obviously as, as strong as a motu proprio, which is like the the official sort of uh, papal decree that comes out usually with an apostolic letter. Um, but what's interesting about the rescripts and the motu proprio is that under Pope Francis, uh, they've become really quite frequent and used often. And interestingly, I think I totted them up. I think there's something like 54 motu proprio that Pope Francis has issued uh, compared to eight during Benedict's um, pontificate, which is roughly the same length of time, slightly less. So I think that's an interesting um, interesting pers perspective in the sense that uh, I think it shows that the Pope Francis has been very keen to to really govern in a sort of in a rather some would say authoritarian way some would say that it was it was acceptable in the sense that there's been lots of reforms to do but anyway i think it's an interesting um observation to make because uh, that that is uh, that's what's happened under pope francis yes and so that makes it more important because i know the argument is around the around Traditionis Custodis. I've been reading Does Traditionis Custodis Pass a Juridical Rationality Test by Father Reginald Marie with the fraternity of St. Vincent Ferrer. And he was making the point that a lot of these decrees are so unclear and they kind of contradict each other that we'd not, we, there is not a necessity to follow them in certain aspects of it. Some of the aspects of it can be disregarded. Yet we're seeing Cardinal Roche tell us, come out and say, no, 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 no. This is the will of the Holy Father, and we must exercise the will of the Holy Father. So what exactly did the rescript say, and what are its effects? Right. Well, the rescript was really um, confirming what is essentially in, in Traditionis Custodis, which is that uh, the granting of license to priests ordained after the publication of Traditionis Custodis in 2021 uh, should get the um, the bishop needs to get uh, the Vatican's approval um, for them to be ordained, uh, and there was uh, the other case, which is um, the use of a parish church or the erection of a personal parish for the celebration of the Eucharist using the the uh, the old rite. That needs to also uh, be passed through Rome. The permission has to be given through Rome to the bishop. The bishop can't just authorize that on his own, except. Um, the dispensations rather have to be uh, given by uh, are reserved to the apostolic see so they they have to be taken by the by the vatican whereas in the past of course it was really under some Warren pontificum which was benedict's uh, motu proprio issued in 2007 which which freed up the use of the old rite that was, was really left to the bishops and the priest uh, to decide if if there were to be um uh, celebrations of the uh, traditional Latin Mass uh, allowed in their in their diocese. Yes, I think the thing that is I've heard a lot about when it came to this because it's been a little while since this has come out is the people in the in the fraternity in the Institute of Christ the King. A lot of them are coming out and saying, "Well, this doesn't really affect us." And I was reading the rescript and. I don't know how how they can say that. It seems as though it's it applies universally. Was there a stipulation given for the former Ecclesia Dei communities, or what does that mean for them? 
No, I think it's across the board. I, I think it's for, um, well, it, it, yes, in the sense that it it really it actually applies more to the sort of dioceses rather than uh, these uh, these institutes. And they they uh, the rumor is that they're going to have um, a, a separate sort of rescript or maybe something stronger coming out um, for them at some point. Some people have talked about an apostolic constitution. Um, but we don't know, of course, it's a lot of speculation. But uh, but yes, they're they're as concerned as the as the priests and bishops about this because I think there's a there is a concern that there's going to be more restrictions and they're going to be tightened even further and it will make it very, very difficult for them to basically carry on as they've been as they have been doing for the last uh, thirty years or so for some of them. Yes, and I was very encouraged though by Bishop Paprocki when he came out and said that he was going to protect his communities. So he immediately removed the designation of a parish church for some of his communities so that they would not fall under this. Is that the tactic, or is it wrong to try to go against what you know is the intention of the Holy Father? Yes, well, this is this is the big question. And, I mean, it is, as somebody I was talking to, uh, uh, that, you know, it is morally right if the if the law is seen as unjust or it's um or it's just not you know it's not fair that it's or it's irrational that uh, they have every right to to find ways around it or not to obey it and i think that may be part of the um the approach of some bishops but uh that's that we'll have to see what the vatican does in response to that if anything but uh but yeah that is that is one alternative and we have a break coming up in just a moment but Last question before we head to a quick break is who exactly is Cardinal Roche? A lot of people don't really know who he is outside of that he's doing all these things. So who is Cardinal Roche? Well, Cardinal Roche is a, is an English uh, bishop. He was um, Bishop of Leeds in North of England for, for many years. Um, he is, um, I don't think liturgy is his speciality, interestingly enough. I don't think that's something he's an expert on. Um, but he's somebody who's been in the Curia. Pope Benedict appointed him secretary to the Congregation for Divine Worship, I think in 2011 or 2012. Um, and he's he's just worked his way up and he's become a cardinal prefect there. So, um, but he's he's very much, I think, somebody who will be wanting to, or he does want to obey the, the Pope in all things. And uh, whoever the Pope is, I think under, under Benedict, funnily enough, he was quite open to, Supporting both the, the old right and and the reformed liturgy, but now um, now that Pope Francis is giving him direction, he's taking those directions and following them through. So he's very much uh, somebody who's going to to do what the Pope uh, bids him to do. Hmm, that's very interesting. Yeah, I guess that would make a lot of sense how he is claiming to be a genuine interpreter of the Holy Father's intentions, and I guess he is uh, authentic to that. Well, we're going to head to a short break, and when we come back, I want to bring up what Cardinal Supich had to say. He just put out an article with America Magazine, and uh, very concerning, a lot to be said there. I also want to talk about this this rumor about an apostolic constitution and what would that mean. All this and more coming up on Catholic Drive Time. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Who are the ten most well-known preachers in America? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Here's the list. Copeland, Osteen, Benny Hinn, Joyce Myers, T.D. Jakes, Stephen Furtick, Andy Stanley, Robert Jeffers, Rick Warren, Alistair Begg, John MacArthur. Well, secondly, all these pastors say the same thing on Sunday morning, which is, turn with me in your Bible. Well, then how's the harmony regarding, say, eternal security, disagreement, present-day ministry of the Holy Spirit, Disagreement. Relationship of baptism to salvation. Disagreement. Church government. Disagreement. Life beginning at conception until natural death. Disagreement. And eschatology. Disagreement. So what's going on here? Well, if you are someone who says, all I need is the word of God, brother, because the Bible is going to give me everything I need to live out the Jesus life. Okay. Hope you've already ditched your favorite blogger, your favorite preacher, your favorite podcaster, and most of all, your religious Google searches. Well, speaking of Google searches, I do request one last Google search for you. Magisterium. So the neighbor who we've spoken to, you know, just in greeting, but who I don't believe has ever spoken back to us, out of the blue, uh, surprised us. One day we were getting the kids in the car for Mass and asked us if we were going to Mass. I was dumbstruck for about probably 10 seconds. It was great that we had an opportunity to share about our parish and that we were Catholic. Turned out she was Catholic too, and she assumed we were because of the bumper sticker on our car. The Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. And I'm joined right now with Edward Pinton. He's a Rome correspondent for the National Catholic Register and a regular contributor to EWTN programs. There's a lot of things going on in Rome that are very concerning. And Cardinal Supich just weighed in on the situation. And, you know, we he kind of has a reputation in the United States of being the voice of Francis in America. And my general policy with Supich is if he says something, I kind of want to go the exact opposite direction. He said here, uh, Pope Francis has called us to accept fully that the liturgical books promulgated by St. Paul VI and St. John Paul II are the unique expression of the Lex Orandi, the law of prayer of the Roman Rite. That Pope Francis, or for that matter, Carter Roach, has any motivation in issuing Traditionis Custodis and authorizing the rescriptum other than the desire to remain faithful to the promoting of the Holy Spirit that gave rise to the teaching and reforms of the Council. The saintly Pope wrote in 1988 letter that we bishops should take seriously. After listening the mis- listing the many reasons for holding fast to the teachings of the Constitution of the Sacred Liturgy and to the reforms it made possible, he quoted from the final report of the Extraordinary Synod of 1985, the liturgical renewal is the most visible fruit of the whole work of the Council. He added, for many people, the message of a second Vatican Council has been experienced principally through the liturgical reform. Continued dismissal of the Holy Father's efforts toward achieving the goal of full acceptance of the restored liturgy as the unique expression of the way of praying in the Roman Rite would not surprise me, as there is nothing new under the sun, but we should name it for what it is, resisting resistance to the promptings of the Holy Spirit and the undermining of genuine fidelity to the See of Peter. That's very concerning. That's from Cardinal Supich, uh, published in America Magazine. Edward Penton, what is your analysis of the words of Cardinal Supich? That is so concerning to me. Well, I think this is the general perception or the the approach of many of those uh, close to the Holy Father. Unfortunately, I think for, for many of them, at least from those on the traditional side, they see this as being really a 
a one-sided view without recognizing one particular important aspect of the traditional uh, traditional part of the church, which is the the great uh, increase in attendance and vocations. Um, that's never mentioned. And so, if the Holy Spirit is working, but it's um, the Holy Spirit is actually the, the sign of the Holy Spirit in the at least in the Reformed liturgy and and the churches that that only have the Reformed liturgy and the the, you know, the characteristic of all of those tends tends to be a sort of emptying of the churches um and a and a, and a loss of vocations um i think the question that needs to be asked and the question needs to be asked of cardinal supich is well if that's the case where is the holy spirit is the holy spirit there where the churches are being emptied or is is he um with the traditional catholics where there where there's great support and great growth um that that i think is probably one one major criticism i suppose that could be leveled at that at that uh, that perception or that uh, that approach of cardinal supich but i think that's probably what many traditional catholics would respond to that in many ways i would say but um but that does seem to be a weakness of his argument it would seem hi edward this is tito edwards co-host of uh, catholic drive time and your colleague at the national catholic register good to finally speak with you i have a question Regarding the Fraternal Society of St. Peter, which was established under then Cardinal Ratzinger of the, of the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith to celebrate the Old Rite, what can you perceive, what can you prognosticate as to how can they restrict the Mass if that's what they were created to celebrate? What, what do you see coming down the pike? Well, this is the question, Tito. I don't, you know, we don't know. It's it's very difficult to say. There's been a lot of predictions and speculation that that there'll be um, apostolic visitations, which could then be followed by um, an insistence that they be uh, the Novus Ordo celebrated within those traditional communities, or there'll be some sort of pressure for them to do so. Because what their goal is, and it's been quite explicit in Traditionis Custodes and elsewhere, is that they want this unique form of the Roman Rite to be only the Reformed Liturgy, and they're going to move along that the way to to achieving that. Um, that may include, you know, eventually wanting the whole traditional mass to, uh, extinguished, really, from traditional communities and elsewhere. But this is this seems to be the end game, the end goal. Um, and that that is seems to be also the sort of approach that they they are likely to take towards the the ex ecclesia day communities. But as I say, there's a lot of speculation about this. We don't know so far. Um, the Pope has actually given an exception to the fraternity of St Peter by allowing them to continue, um, really regardless of traditionis custodis in many ways. And so that's they've they've been given some some reprieve there. But um, whether that's going to continue, we'll have to see. Yes, I think that's very concerning, especially since the rumors surrounding the Apostolic Constitution that may come down the pike and on March or not March and uh, Monday of Holy Week. That's very interesting to me because they were saying that this was going to happen. And then this rescript comes out early that no one was expecting, really. And it happens so now people are saying, well, was this what we were expecting or are we still expecting the Apostolic Constitution? Uh, what do we know about the rumor of a future Apostolic Constitution? And even if there was one, does this mean that they're no longer going to do it? What what do we know? Well, it's difficult to say, Adrian, because it's, uh, there hasn't been any any formal 
uh, or any sort of reliable uh, leaks really that have come out yet. We haven't seen any documents. We haven't seen any real evidence or proof that um, that this apostolic constitution actually exists. It's only been rumor really. Um, but I think if it does happen, I think I think it's likely to be there. I think, as I said earlier, you know that this is what they want. This is this is the the goal that they have, um, which is to have this unique form of the Roman rite. And so, it, I think we can safely predict that there is probably going to be some more restrictions coming down, down the down the pike in the future. But um, but as I say, we, we're going to have to just wait and see. There's all sorts of rumors flying around, but uh, it's probably best one doesn't repeat them here because. Uh, <laughs> One just doesn't know which are true and which aren't, but um, right. But certainly, I think we can be expecting something like that. I would say, in the future, at the current, um, at least, judging by the by the actions so far. Right, for sure. I know that's it's very, very clear that those kind of things is where we're going. It's it's happening every. It feels like every six months, but at least every year. And it's maybe some uh, a question about a little bit of insider baseball. What exactly what exactly was meant whenever people say, oh, there's a rumors from Rome? Because, there's, I mean, there's always rumors about something everywhere. How do we distinguish between a rumor that is worthy of giving it some credence versus a rumor that is completely unsubstantiated and just rumor mongering? Well, this is this is the thing. I mean, unfortunately, with with social media, you know, rumors, um, rumors do take off and they become seen as as truth. But actually, there's not there's not any truth behind them i think i think the best way is to wait until uh there's something which is clearly um showing either documentation or, or proof that this is this is a fact i think until then i think it's best to to um to treat these with a pinch of salt really because uh it's becoming quite frenzied of course especially i mean during this pontificate we've had all kinds of of rumors going flying around um, because people are concerned and and there's a lot of fear about as well, and and uh, and so I think there's there's real concern about various things, and and the rumours can feed into that. So I would just uh, obviously um, advise anyone just to wait till for the facts to come out and and for evidence to be to be shown. Hi Edward, this is Tito again. I I understand Pope Francis uh, wants to uh, restrict the liturgy to some extent to have some sort of unity. And considering his particular interest in all things liturgical, I, this this is not a facetious question, but I, I'm curious. I I know he's he is aware of all the abuses in the Novus Order that is being done all over the world, because he's made some offhand remarks uh, here and there. But is there does he understand the gravity of the situation of of how there's clown masses in Austria, Germany? They have the Western Mass here in the United States. We have puppet masses. Does he will he take any formal action outside of just reference them every ten years? Well, this is this is the question, Tito. I mean, he's you know he's he did mention this in Traditionis Custodes. He mentioned that the abuses are also on the other side. Um, although uh, you know many would argue that the abuses are far far worse. In fact, some would argue there aren't any really abuses on the traditional side at all. But um, but yes, he does he does he is aware of this, obviously. But I think you you make an important point, which is that it's he doesn't really take any action in those areas. He does he focuses so solely, it seems, on the traditional mass and not on on the clown masses and the abuses that we've seen for so many years now. And um and the other aspect of this, of course, which I think is of interest and and 
and a lot of people I think are concerned about, which is the whole synodality process, which is all about listening, but they only seem to be listening to those who are of a certain side of the church, but not really um, when it comes to those who are traditional. And as somebody pointed out, uh, Christopher Dickett, who's a who's a commentator of, and he wrote for Le Figaro recently. I've I've just written about this. Um, he argues that you know, well, if this is all about a time of listening and consultation, well, shouldn't they be listening and consulting that area of the church, which is growing and growing in attendance and vocations, whereas all the other parts of the church are emptying. So it it, it is a, a it's a real mystery. I think a lot of people find it very difficult to understand why why this is the case. You know, if all the people that should be listened to, one could argue it should be the traditional part of the church because there is the most growth, the most devout, the most practicing Catholics who are really trying to practice the faith in accordance with the magisterium and not not dissenting from parts of it, which is what you often get um, of those who, or at least sometimes you get in the reform liturgy. Ed Pinton, uh, last question before we uh, close out for this hour. What is the immediate effects? We've already been uh, over a week since it's been the rescripts come out. What are the immediate effects? What can we expect to happen in, in the near future? Well, I think we're going to see um, probably more uh, bishops like you've had in the United States who at least appear to be closing down traditional parishes, but I think they're just trying to find a way to to keep them, but without having to... Um, that, without having them closed down altogether. So I think that's what you'll find. Um, I think uh, there'll be, I think a lot of bishops also will continue to ignore these these stipulations and just um, allow these traditional masses to carry on. But uh, I think it'll be probably more of the same, a sort of muddling through for the next few few months. And um, And as I say, we'll have to see what happens about the apostolic constitution and whether that's going to tighten the screws a bit more and and actually really come down even harder on the traditional community. Well, thank you very much, Edward Hinton, with National Catholic Register, for being on with us. God bless you, God love you, and we'll have to have you back on when, if we find out more about the Apostolic Constitution that may or may not be coming down the pike. But remember the words of Gamaliel to the Sanhedrin. If it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found to be opposing God. Right back with more Catholic Drive Time. So many of us carry such heavy burdens. He's having a relationship with George. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. Deep within, we struggle because sin separates us from God. But thanks to the grace of confession, God compassionately listens, forgives, and sets us free. So if it's been a while since you've been to confession or mass, come home and experience a fresh start. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. According to 1 Corinthians 11, receiving communion in an unworthy manner can result in sickness and or death. If communion is simply wafer and juice as opposed to body and blood, doesn't the possibility of sickness and death just seem a little over the top? So here's the three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. First off, in the Bread of Life discourse in John 6, Jesus says, He that eats my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me and I in him. Note, he said drink my blood. He did not say drink my wine or grape juice. Well, no 
commentary needed there. Secondly, you going to walk? The disciples did not walk away from Jesus over a symbolic teaching of body and blood. They walked over how literally Jesus was teaching them. Also, they did not walk over the idea that feeding on Christ's body and blood is feeding on the Bible. No, no, no. And thirdly, your new response. My Catholic friend, when you are asked, hey, have you received Christ? Your answer is yes, every Sunday at Mass. That's how I know objectively that Christ is in me. Catholic Radio was there for me when I needed it. Even though I didn't think I needed it, it was there for me. I want everybody to know that I'm giving, not so that I can sit there and say that I gave the GRN for any other reason but this. I want that radio station to be there for anyone else who needs it also. They may not think they need it, but it's going to be there for them, whether it's in the future, whether it's right now. I want that radio station to always be there for them, just like it was there for me. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Shining the light of truth on the path of salvation. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Hi, my name is Catherine and Valerie and Sarah, and we attend St. Maximilian Colby Catholic Community. And you're listening to KSHJ Houston, 1430 AM. Radio for your soul. Another day to offer up our penances, our sufferings, our sorrows, our joys for the greater glory of God. Have you thanked God today for your penances? I try to remember to do that. Sometimes it's hard. You know, things happen in your life. Family members pass away. People, you get in accidents. Things happen, and you're kind of bummed out. But then you realize, you know, I should thank God for the benefits because I don't deserve any good thing. I shouldn't ask, God, why do these bad things happen to me? Instead, I should ask, God, why does anything good ever happen to me? Why is there any good in my life? Because we're not good, and we don't really deserve any good. So let's give God some thanks for all the good things that we have. On the other side of the, of the break, I, we were chatting about the restrictions coming down for the Latin Mass. And I wanted to read this, this quote from the, I think it was the Catholic Herald who pub, put this out. I should have wrote down the source, but I didn't. I just copied the quote real quick. It said, Questions of ecclesiastical prudence are never for the faint of the faint-hearted, but in the present case, it might be worth recalling the warning of Saul's own teacher, Gamiel, to the Sanhedrin in Acts five thirty-nine: "If it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found to be opposing God." And that really is the the response that people should make when it comes to prudential questions of ecclesiastical authority when we're looking at a situation and we're like well that could be good it could be bad and the the disposition should be well it seems like it's my it's probably good i'm not 100 percent certain but i don't want to go against it lest i be fighting against god himself that's a good attitude to have in a lot of these cases that's kind of my attitude when it comes to these disputes between different conservative traditional factions I'm like, look, I don't know everything. I'm not God. I don't know what's in their hearts. I don't know their intentions. 
I don't know the ins and outs of every detail, but I know they love God. They clearly love God. Vocations are flourishing. People are happy, healthy. All these things are happening. There's beautiful liturgies, all these things. They profess unity with the Holy Father. So who am I to fight against them if it seems as though they're doing the will of God? If it's not a God, it won't last. But if it is of God, you might find yourself fighting against God himself. Very concerning. Uh, Tito, what did you think about the interview? Uh, fascinating. Edward Penton, he uh, speaks like he writes, articulate. And uh, I, I don't, I, well, I shouldn't say anything should surprise me anymore uh, from, from, what's, from this pontificate. So may, maybe we should take what you said right at the, at the, uh, at the break when you returned. Inst- instead of saying, thank you, God, for this, maybe we should say, God, may I have another. <laughs> for penance, for That's justice. <laughs> yeah. But I think uh, the, the important ahead. thing about the, uh, the question of the liturgy, I get this sometimes, and, it's, and, and I think it's a strategy that's done, is to try to put these restrictions during the season of Lent so you can spin it and be like, hey, just take this as a, as a penance. But the most important thing about the liturgy is that it's not so much about my preference not about preference it's about giving to god what is due to him and the most reverent liturgy that we can provide to god is what god is due and so it's not so much about what i like and don't like because for instance i'm actually this is my this my people are going to freak out i actually am not a huge fan of polyphony i don't like polyphony but it's not about my preference if polyphony is being played at a good, beautiful mass, well, then I'm all for it. I'm all for it, even though I'm like, eh, I could do without polyphony. I'm not a huge fan. So things like that, things when it comes down to preference, yeah, let's offer it up as a penance. If you have a, whoo-wee, I know some parishes that have a mighty, awful scola, and mighty, awful choir. No offense to those volunteers, but... That situation is a situation where you're saying, okay, I'm just going to take that on as a penance and just endure this, this choir, this scola. But when it comes to liturgy itself and abuses of the liturgy and things like that, we can't offer that as a penance because that is an offense against God and we should give God the greatest glory that we can. Adrian, I think to solve this little dilemma for you, just hang on to the back of that eagle and, and, and just ride on his wings which and, eagle are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? When you hold on to eagle's wings. <laughs> oh, are you referring to the, <laughs> the song, I'll Raise You Up on Eagle's Wings? Yes. Oh, okay. I haven't heard that song in a long time. You're very fortunate. But, uh, uh, yeah, we're, we can take this as a penance, but this will still be here after Lent is over. What uh, we can do is we continue to fast and pray and do God's will because... Uh, I, I certainly believe things will straighten out in the end. Maybe, uh, maybe the Vatican will come around and, and realize maybe what they're doing was imprudent. Uh, maybe the next pope that comes in, Pope Pius XIII or uh, Adrian II III, <clears throat> might do some reversal and uh, make it make us more pontificum magnum. So it, it, we can't predict the future, but uh, we just have to grin and bear it for the time and. 
get through this while we can. And it's a great opportunity, like you said, to offer it up to God for Lent. It's, it can only be good for, uh, it can only help you with your salvation. Yeah, so today, try to celebrate Ember Days. We were talking about it on the other side of the, on the 15 past the hour, the last hour. Try to celebrate Ember Days. If you're not familiar, Ember Days are days that are set aside for prayer, fasting, and abstinence, where you have an opportunity to offer up prayer, fasting, and abstinence for three things. One, in thanksgiving for the harvest. Two, in prayer and for a good harvest to come. And three, for a harvest of vocations. So let's pray for those things. Let's also add to that, I would argue, for peace in the church, that we could get rid of all this division and instead be all unified in Christ. It'd be a great thing. It'd be a great thing to do. So if you can, make those sacrifices. I'm going to try to make it to, to Mass today. It's the, the most Masses are over by the time the show's over. They usually start like 6, 6.30, something like that, or 7. And so don't always, it's very difficult to find a mass available, but I'm going to try, and I encourage you to try as well. But praise be to God for the opportunity to, at the very least, if you can't make it to mass, the very least, you can definitely do prayer, fasting, and abstinence. Right, Tito? Absolutely. On the positive side, just I always like to see the positive. I don't know if that's my natural default. Uh, but anyways, just, Ember Days, what a great day to celebrate. Go to Mass and pray for vocations because those vocations, those last 10, maybe 20 years, the seminarians coming in and coming out of those uh, seminaries are very faithful, very intentional, strong Catholics holding on to orthodoxy. And the wave is in. It's coming in. And I certainly believe in the near distant, near future, there will be an increase of, of strong priests being elevated to the episcopy, and from there you draw and, and get your cardinals and, and a pope. So the future is very bright for us, for, for Catholics who want to live an intentional life, for Catholics that love the liturgy, love this liturgical calendar. Let's celebrate Ember Days and offer up our pain and suffering for, for vocations because, man, I see it everywhere. The, these these young priests are on fire for Jesus. They go out there and celebrate a beautiful Mass, elevating the soul and the heart towards God, a beautiful vertical relationship. I was talking to my professor, Dr. Theodore Rebard. You probably have heard him on the show in the past. He, we, he and I were chatting. I just went by his office, and we were just chatting it up. And he was telling me, because he's he's not super old, but he's probably in his he's probably in his sixties. He's not that old. He was uh, we were chatting, and he was saying, "Look, I my generation, the people my age, we are getting old every year. We're getting older and older, and most of these parishes I'm at, everyone there is my age. Everyone there is about my age. But at the nice, beautiful parishes." And the parishes, like the ordinariate parishes, the traditional Latin Mass parishes, the parishes with the, the Reverend Novus Ordos, those are the ones, and those are the only ones that have any significant amount of youth, any significant amount of young adults. And not just youth, because, you know, we think of like young like kids, like you teenagers, 
most of those people are people who are forced to go to mass. Uh, but if you're looking at young adult people in their late 20s, early 30s, those people, the fact that you have people that age showing up to mass, that's significant because they're the people who are having kids again. These are the ones that are having new kids. And he was making that point to me, and I was thinking, yeah, I guess you're right. It'll be interesting to see because, like Benedict predicted, I foresee the church getting a lot smaller before it can grow and become much bigger. It'll look like the apostolic church, I think is what Benedict, Benedict said. So Benedict was uh, never claimed to be a prophet, at least not a formal one, but in his uh, by just by just an- analyzing the situation and extrapolating, following the premises to their conclusions, you can easily see that that's probably what's going to happen. I think Benedict is 100% correct on that one. Yeah, I, I do so. I also agree with what Pope Benedict said. <clears throat> it's a pruning of the church. When you prune a church, new life springs from it. And I certainly see that. I, someone once said, a, if a church isn't crying, it's not thriving. So because of all the kids in the in the back pews. Yeah, 100%. I've heard that too. I've heard, uh, I heard it slightly different. I heard it, if your church ain't crying, it's dying. Yeah. That's what I heard it as. But now thriving works too. Uh, no, yeah, this is, it's very good. I love seeing children at mass. I love it. Except whenever they're sitting in front of me and they're looking at me and I can't pay attention because I'm like, this baby's so cute. And they think, no, stop, stop paying attention to the baby. Don't look at the baby. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's an eternal struggle. It's an eternal struggle. Babies are so, are too adorable. But this coming uh, weekend, actually, I just wanted to plug this in the last couple seconds we have here. I'm going to Port Arthur. Did you know that they have a pilgrimage, an annual pilgrimage in Port Arthur? No, I did not. Every Lent, they have a pilgrimage in Port Arthur, and I've actually never been to it before. I've heard about it in the past, but I've never been, and I decided this year I'm going to make a point to go to the pilgrimage. And they do it every year during the season of Lent, and it's a five-mile walk to – they have a a mass – and then they walk for five miles to some location. I don't even know where. Some shrine. And uh, people will bring giant statues of Our Lady. They carry flotillas. All these different things. And so I'm going to drive out to Port Arthur. It's uh, about two hours, two and a half hours from where I'm located. I highly recommend if you're in the Port Arthur area within a five, three-hour driving distance, Make it a point to come out and come say hi to me and let me know. Send me an email at grnonline.com forward slash CDT. You can find my email listed there. Send me an email. Let me know you're coming and we can meet up this Saturday whenever I'm there. Uh, my family is going to come too. It's going to be an awesome time. Pilgrimages. We need to bring back pilgrimages. If you can't come to this pilgrimage, hey, talk to your parish priest. Maybe you can do a small little pilgrimage, maybe a little procession around your church. Processions. Yeah, small little things. It doesn't have to be anything grand. It can build up to something grand in a year. It's just small small steps, baby steps. Little things that we can take up space, that we can express our love for Holy Mother Church. All these things are opportunities to show God some love. That's going to lead us into our game show, Fear and Trembling. You can be the contestant. All you have to do is pick up the phone and dial 877-757-9424. You're going to want to be the contestant for today. The number is 877-757-9424. 
If you've never called before, I encourage you to call 877-757-9424. That number one more time, 877-757-9424. We'll be right back with our game show, Fear and Trembling. Hey, Donnie, what does the catechism say that the purpose of life is? No love and serve God to be happy in the next. That's right. So we can be happy with him in the next life. As parents, we're the primary educators of our Catholic faith to our children. And if you don't know your Catholic faith as well as you should, that's okay. Just tune in daily to the Guadalupe Radio Network by logging online to grnonline.com. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Listen, learn, love, and pass it on. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Christmas Minute. Have you ever heard people object to gold and gilded ornaments in a Catholic church? Have you ever heard them question the purpose of burning incense? How do we answer them? Simple. We answer them by pointing out the three gifts of the wise men at Christmas. If gold and incense can be brought to a stable, they can certainly be brought to a church. What do these three gifts mean? G.K. Chesterton says they represent three prophecies about the Christ child. Gold, that he should be crowned like a king. Frankincense, that he should be worshipped like a god. And myrrh, that he should be buried like a man. The first two are marvelous and obvious. The third is a wonder. Want more than a minute? Visit our website at Chesterton. Uh, first off, I'd just like to say um, I did uh, five years in prison in Texas, and thanks to the Guadalupe Radio Network down there and your ministry, there is a lot of us getting back on track. And especially a big thank you to all your donors who donate to the network, and uh, it really helps a lot of us felons find the way and find that the, the Catholic truth and get back on track. So really thank you for that. The Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. The Catholic trivia game show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. 877-757-9424. That's the number to call to be on the game show Fear and Trembling. And I'm looking over and there is not one call, which means you, if you call in right now, you will be the contestant for the game show. That number to call is 877-757-9424. You can be the contestant, 877-757-9424 is the number to call. And make sure you put that number in your speed dial so in the future you just hop on real quick and be the contestant. That number slowly is 877 757 9424. If you're not familiar with the game show, it's very simple, very straightforward. I don't ask you the question. I'm going to ask Tito. I'm going to ask Rudy. And I'm going to ask them Catholic trivia questions. And it's going to be their job to tell me an answer. And it's going to be your job to tell me who's right and who's wrong. That's a 50 50 chance of getting it right. So it's very simple, very straightforward. And to be a contestant, you just have to call 877-757-9424. Every right answer gets a chance in the coffee cup of Divine Province to win this week's prize. 
Uh, Tito, what could they win? They can win a 8x10 Holy Family print from Just Love Prints. You like beautiful and pious holy cards? Please visit JustLovePrints.com. Again, JustLovePrints.com. Just Love Prints, thank you very much for uh, supporting the show and for being our sponsor for this week. We love it when we have our sponsors and a holy family print. What a beautiful thing. It could be hanging right above your door today. But joining us right now is Scott. Good morning to you, Scott. Good morning. Scott, uh, where are you calling from? Houston. Houston, H-Town, hold it down. I love it when we get Houston callers. Where do you go to church? St. Rose of Lima. St. Rose of Lima. I had a friend who was actually the maintenance guy at St. Rose of Lima for a long time. It's kind of funny you, you say that because uh, it's also funny. He was When he was working there, he was doing maintenance. He was also doing janitorial work. And he found a missile that was dated back to like 1940. Oh, and wow. he like went up to the deacon and was like, hey, can, can, I, can I keep this? <laughs> and the deacon was like, yeah, sure. We're not going to use it. So he just kept it. It's pretty cool. But anyway, <laughs> Scott, where are you headed today? I'm actually headed... Uh, to my office, um, I uh, do oncology clinical research. Oh wow! Uh, so you're you're clearly a man of of great intelligence. So we're expecting on uh, all, all three correct answers, right? Well, you have to watch that Tito. He's a little tricky. That's true. That's true. <laughs> he does give some pretty tricky answers. You do have to be very careful. Uh, but Scott, how's your link going? It's going great. Praise be uh, God. I've um, set some things this year, and on top of that, um, we just started the teaming process for our men's axe retreat. It'll be in June, so um, we're kind of hoping that anybody, you know, in the Houston area that hasn't had the opportunity to go on a men's axe retreat, come to St. Rose of Lima, um, and it'll be June 8th to the 10th, I believe, is the date oh. that it's set for there you go. Shameless you go. plug. Shameless plug. There you go. Praise be to God, Scott. Well, Scott, are, you're familiar with the game show clearly because you know that Tito is very tricky. So we are going to jump into the game. We're going to start with Rudy, which is our custom. Rudy, the question is, who is the patron saint of the poor? Who is the patron saint of the poor? Well... <laughs> It may be a trick question. There's actually two, I believe, but I'm gonna I'm just gonna answer Saint Lawrence. You're gonna say Saint Lawrence? Yes. Okay. The, he was the first. No, he wasn't the first deacon, but he was the deacon, right? I believe so. I yes. That's right. Yeah. And the other one, which I don't know, might be. I'm gonna say Saint Martin of Tours. Oh, really? He gave his cloak, okay, right? Okay, that's so. right. Well, the Mexicans do love St. Martin, uh, Martin of Tours. They do. Yeah. Every Mexican restaurant I've ever been in. Right, he's <laughs> right there. All right, Tito, same question to you. Who is the patron saint of the poor? Poor. Patron saint of the poor. I'm going to go out and say, ah, oh, St. Puro. St. Puro. Yes. It's like spelled P-U-R-O? Correct. Okay, St. Puro. Hmm. Oh, very interesting. Very interesting. Okay, Scott. Here's the question for you. Who is the patron saint of the poor? Well, R Rudy seems to think that it's St. Lawrence, whereas Tito says that it's St. Puro. Uh, Scott, 15 seconds of the clock. What say you? Rudy's right. Rudy is right, he says. Are you sure? Oh, he got it. 
Nailed it, Scott. Oh, man, Scott. Scott, I knew it. You're a genius. You're in the coffee cup of Divine Providence one time already. Let's see if we can get you in for two. I know St. Lawrence, He's he whenever he were like, hey, give me the treasury of the church. He brought out the poor and said, this is the treasury of the church. And then they killed Based. him. <laughs> <laughs> they roasted his body. Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. Okay, there you go. All right, Tito, next question goes to you. The question is, some candles and receptacles of glass placed before an altar, shrine, or statue are called what? They are called votive candles. Sometimes vigil candles, but uh, I've only heard them called votive candles. Okay. Votive or vigil candles is what you're saying. Correct. Okay, well, let's go to Rudy. Rudy, same question to you. Small candles in receptacles of glass placed before an altar, shrine, or statue are called what? Okay, these are actually named by a former saint. His name is St. Gandalf, and they're oh. known as Files of Galadriel. Oh, wow. Yeah. A File of Galadriel. Mm-hmm. Is that after St. Galadriel, the Great? Exactly. Wow, okay. She's a doctoress of the church. That's right, that's right. She's the fifth one. Yeah. Okay. The fifth female one, I mean, rather. <laughs> There's more than five doctors of the church. <laughs> okay. So, Scott, this is a very simple question, I think. It's not tricky at all. No trickiness here. The question is, small candles in receptacles of glass placed before an altar, shrine, or statue are called what? Tito says that it's votive or vigil candles, whereas Rudy says it is called a file of Galadriel. What say you, 15 seconds on the clock? Well, sorry, Rudy. Tito's got this one. Tito's got that <laughs> one? Tito? All right. Very good, Scott. You got it. You got the answer. Uh, yes, but did you know, though, Scott, that there is actually a St. Gandalf? He's a real. That's a real saint. <laughs> like not even joking. It, it's there's a Franciscan friar. You actually did know that. You said, yeah. There you go. He see Scott. He's smart. Smart guy. Scott yeah, from Houston. Wow. In the Latinized version, he's known as Saint Gandolfo. So there you go. H down. Really holding it down. I can see it. It's happening. It's happening. All right, Scott. Last question. Let's go to Rudy. Rudy, what Adrian. feast? is also known as the Feast of the Blessed Sacrament. Known as the Feast of the Blessed Sacrament, a wonderful, wonderful opportunity there of the year. It's a Corpus Christi. Corpus Christi. The priests are all dressed in red. Is There's it Corpus massive Christi a city? processions. There is a city of Corpus oh, okay. Christi. And, uh, you know, as a little aside... I want to say California is a little bit more Catholic because we have more cities uh, named after uh, Catholic items. All right, so uh, Rudy, and, uh, uh, we're moving on from Catholic Rudy. Stuff, okay, uh, uh, um, <clears throat> we have uh, Rudy's making too many. I California, love California. Too many California references here. Uh, <laughs> all right, all right. How many California references have there been today? There's been one. That's one too many. <laughs> all right, Tito. Same question to you. What feast is also known as the Feast of the Blessed Sacrament? Feast of the Blessed Sacrament. Oh, that, that's an easy one. That's Santo Sacramento. Sacra Sacramento is what you're saying. Yes. Like 
Sacramento, California. Correct. That's its second uh, California based? reference today. By Adrian, okay. an own goal. All right. Scott, the question for you is, what feast is also known as the Feast of the Blessed Sacrament? Is it Corpus Christi, as Rudy says? Or is it Sacro Sacramento, as Tito says? 15 seconds on the clock. What say you? Well, despite his too many California references, Rudy's got this one. <laughs> My man. Yeah, exactly. You, you see how Scott, he knew, he said, despite the California references, <laughs> it's not because of the California references, but despite them, right, Scott? That's right. Amen, brother. Amen. Well, praise be to God, Scott. I knew it. I knew you were a smart guy. You got three for three. You got all of them in, so you have three opportunities to win this Friday. But congratulations, and have a blessed day. Thanks, and you guys have a blessed one. Awesome. Praise be to God, Scott. Stay on hold. We're going to put you on hold and you're going to and we're going to get your information in just one moment. Uh, but thank you for being on and have a blessed land. Thank you for your for being a participant in the game show this morning. But that's going to do it for today's show on the radio side. If you want to join us in the after show, you're welcome to do so. Go to grnonline.com forward slash cdt when you go there you can find a link to all of our social media feeds because we're live on facebook youtube rumble odyssey and you can hop on there and you can comment and we will interact with you directly but if not then you can have to join us on the after show in the in the next for tomorrow sorry i can't speak you can join us tomorrow 6 a.m central 7 eastern across the guadalupe radio network but if you can join us, I'd be happy to chat with you directly. So make sure you go to one of our social media feeds and we can answer your questions, your comments, your concerns, your soapboxes, your negativities, your positivities, or anything in between. Something about the game show, something about some of the topics we talked about, whatever it is, I want to talk to you about it. So hop on in the after show on our social media feeds. If not, see you tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Same bat time, same bat channel. God bless you, God love you, and we'll see you soon. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. This day of the first week of Lent. This morning's Mass is being offered for all of our online viewers and for those joining us by Guadalupe Radio Media. The Glory of these forty days we celebrate with songs of praise. 
forthright by whom all things were made, himself has fasted and has prayed. Alone and fasting Moses saw the loving God who gave the law and to Elijah fasting came the steeds and chariots of flame. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Brothers and sisters, let us call to mind our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Christ Let us pray. Look kindly, Lord, we pray on the devotion of your people that those who by self-denial are restrained in body may by the fruit of good works be renewed in mind. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. A reading from the book of the prophet Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Set out for the great city of Nineveh and announce to it the message that I will tell you. So Jonah made ready and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's bidding. Now Nineveh was an enormously large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began his journey through the city and had gone but a single day's walk announcing, Forty days more and Nineveh shall be destroyed. When the people of Nineveh believed God, they proclaimed a fast and all of them, great and small, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he had this proclaimed throughout Nineveh, by decree of the king and his nobles. Neither man nor beast, neither cattle nor sheep, shall taste anything. They shall not eat, they shall not, nor shall they drink water. Man and beast shall be covered with sackcloth, and call loudly to God. Every man shall turn from his evil way and from the violence he has in hand. Who knows, God may relent and forgive and withhold his blazing wrath so that we shall not perish. When God saw by their, ashen, by their actions 
how they had turned from their evil way. He repented of the evil that he had threatened to do to them. He did not carry it out. The word of the Lord. A heart contrite and humble, O God, you will not spurn. Have mercy on me, O God, in your goodness. In the greatness of your compassion, wipe out my offense. Thoroughly wash me from my guilt, and of my sin cleanse me. A heart contrite and humble, O God, you will not spurn. A clean heart create for me, O God, and a steadfast spirit renew within me. Cast me not out from your presence, and your Holy Spirit take not from me. A heart contrite and humble, O God, you will not spurn. For you are not pleased with sacrifices. Should I offer a burnt offering, you would not accept it. My sacrifice, O God, is a contrite spirit, a heart contrite and humbled, O God, you will not spurn. A heart contrite and humbled, O God, you will not spurn. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, King of endless glory. Even now, says the Lord, return to me with your whole heart, for I am gracious and merciful. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ, King of endless glory. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. While still more people gathered in the crowd, Jesus said to them, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. At the judgment, the Queen of the South will rise with the men of this generation, and she will condemn them because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And there is nothing greater than Solomon here. There is something greater than Solomon here. At the judgment, the men of Nineveh will arise with this generation and condemn it, because at the preaching of Jonah, they repented. And there is something greater than Jonah here. The Gospel of the Lord. morning's gospel we see the people asking Jesus for a sign presumably so that they can come to a state of belief so when we look at our own lives in the world that we live in too we sometimes can also be sign requesters of God or we can ask the question God why don't you make your presence in this world more tangibly and more easily felt where it would be undeniable to everybody everywhere that you exist and that you are the Lord and ruler of everything that lives. Why don't you make your presence even more clear to us than what it already is? In some ways it reminds us of the temptations this past Sunday that the devil was giving to Jesus, in particular the temptation to have Jesus throw himself down from the parapet of the temple so that God's angels would come and catch him to see if the Lord would rescue him. 
as Jesus said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. In many ways, when we look at this notion of sign-seeking and the temptation that we may have to ask God for signs to make his presence more tangibly felt in the world or even immediately in our own lives, part of the problem with it, or the big problem with it, is we kind of change and flip the relationship with God, whereby we say, God, you are subject to the criteria that we human beings are going to set for what you need to do to prove yourself to us. And if you submit to our experiment and pass, then we're going to give you a passing grave and then we'll believe. It kind of flips everything on its head. It makes God subject to us and it places us above him as if we were God or as if we were able to command him around. The irony, of course, in today's gospel is that when Jesus says nothing will be given to this generation as a sign except the sign of Jonah, is that the sign of Jonah is precisely the paschal mystery of Jesus Christ. As Jonah was in the belly of the whale and emerged on the third day, so too Jesus is going to die, descend into death, and rise on the third day in his resurrection, which is really the ultimate sign of his divinity that the Father raises the Son from the depth of death in the resurrection. The ultimate sign, in a way, has been given to us, and yet still sometimes it can feel like it's not enough for us. What we really come to realize is what Jesus came to reveal to us is really that God is God and the path of how we can reach God. Jesus shows us the path of authentic love, and what he tells us and teaches us that authentic faith is really a free response to God's love in our life whereby we commit and submit ourselves completely to him in order to be able to follow him. And that really is at the root of our response of faith. It isn't to put God to the test and say, Lord, you must do this, that, and the other, and then I'll believe, but rather it's to say, Jesus has revealed who God is to us, we have the pathway to life given us to the gospel held in the tradition of the church and our job is to respond freely from our free will. I suppose if I think of an example from my own life, I remember when I was kind of discerning my priestly vocation and whether or not to enter into seminary. I had already kind of been given all sorts of good reasons and signs, if you will, as to why I should enter. But I still kind of thought to myself, Lord, could you please give me something absolutely definitive? You know, something small like write my name in the sky or something like that. <laughs> something which would be undeniable where I could say, I know with absolute certainty this is what I should do. But you, know, you realize even the gift of vocation, it's meant to be a response of faith from the freedom that God has given us and not kind of a demand for God to say, you must show me with absolute certainty that I should do it. And ironically, you know, we wouldn't want that anyway because then we would feel forced and trapped anyway probably into our vocation. See, God reveals himself as he has to give us the space in our interior freedom to listen to him in the silence and to be able to freely respond to his goodness and to his love. And this is the path of genuine faith 
as opposed to putting upon God the criteria and conditions of what he must do so that then we can believe. So my brothers and sisters, as we go forward today, let us give thanks to God that Jesus has revealed perfectly who God is to us, that he's revealed the depth of his love. Let us ask God that in the interior silence of our heart, we would hear his voice and in our freedom, we would always choose in faith to follow him completely. Amen. We should pour forth prayers at all times, dear brothers and sisters. But above all, in these days of Lent, we ought to watch more intently with Christ and direct our petitions more fervently to God. For the whole Christian people, that in this sacred time, they may be more abundantly nourished by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Let us pray to the Lord. For the whole world, that in lasting tranquility and peace, our days may truly become the acceptable time of grace and salvation. Let us pray to the Lord. For sinners and the neglectful, that in this time of reconciliation they may return to Christ. Let us pray to the Lord. For ourselves and for those joining us by radio in Guadalupe Radio Media and online, that God may at last stir up in our hearts a version for our sins. Let us pray to the Lord. Grant, we pray, O Lord, that your people may turn to you with all their heart, so that whatever they dare to ask in fitting prayer, they may receive by your mercy through Christ our Lord. Amen. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Come unto me and rest. Lay down thy weary one, lay down thy head upon my breast. I came to Jesus as I was, so weary, worn, and sad. I found in him a resting place, and he has made me glad. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Behold, I freely give. The living water, thirsty one, Stoop down and drink and live. I came to Jesus and I drank Of that life-giving stream. My thirst was quenched, my soul revived, and now I live in him. Pray, brothers and sisters, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. <clears throat> we offer to you, O Lord, what you have given to be dedicated to your name, that just as for our benefit you make these gifts a sacrament, so you may let them become for us an eternal remedy through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. 
Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly right and just, our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks. Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, through Christ our Lord. For by your gracious gift each year, your faithful await the sacred Paschal Feast with the joy of minds made pure, so that more eagerly intent on prayer and on the works of charity and participating in the mysteries by which they have been reborn, they may be led to the fullness of grace that you bestow on your sons and daughters. And so with angels and archangels, with thrones and dominions, and with all the hosts and powers of heaven, we sing the hymn of your glory, as without end we acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaho, Plenisun Celi et Terra, Gloria Tua, Hosanna in excelsis, Benedictus, qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna in excelsis. You are indeed holy, O Lord, the fount of all holiness. Make holy, therefore, these gifts, we pray, by sending down your spirit upon them like the dewfall, so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the time he was betrayed and entered willingly into his passion, he took bread and, giving thanks, broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and once more giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith, save us, Savior of the world. For by your cross and resurrection, you have set us free. Therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Lord, the bread of life and the chalice of salvation, giving thanks that you have held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. Humbly we pray that, partaking of the body and blood of Christ, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Remember, Lord, your church spread throughout the world. Bring her to the fullness of charity, together with Francis, our Pope, and Michael, our Bishop, and all the clergy. 
Remember also our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection and all who have died in your mercy. Welcome them into the light of your face. Have mercy on us all, we pray, that with the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with Blessed Joseph, her spouse, with the Blessed Apostles, and all the saints who have pleased you throughout the ages, we may merit to be co-heirs to eternal life and may praise and glorify you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him and with him and in him, O God Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. Pray chapter salutaribus moniti, et divina institutione formati, audemus dicere, Pater noster, we as in celis, sanctifice tuur nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicud in celo et in terra, panem nostrum coditianum, da nobis hodie, et imite nobis debita nostra, Sicut et nos dimitimus, debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amalo. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil, graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church, and graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Let us offer each other the sign of peace. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, Miserere nobis, Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, Miserere nobis, Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, Dona nobis pacem. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed.
for those who are unable to receive our Lord sacramentally in Holy Communion, we invite you to pray the act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Attende Domine et miserere, quia peccavimus tibi. Ate rexume omnium redemptor, oculos nostros sublevamus flentes, exaudi Christe, Supplicatum preces. Attende Domine et miserere, quia peccavimus tibi. Rogamus Deus, tua majestatem, auribus sacris, Gemitus exaudi, crimina nostra, placidus induce. Attende Domine, et miserere, quia peccavimus tibi. King high exalted, all the world's Redeemer, to thee thy children, lift their eyes with weeping. Christ, we implore thee, hear our supplication. Hear our entreaties, Lord, and show thy mercy, for we are sinners before thee. Let us pray. O God, who never cease to nourish us by your sacrament, grant that the refreshment you give us through it may bring us unending life through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Watch over your people, Lord, and in your kindness cleanse them from all sins. For if evil has no dominion over them, no trial can do them harm through Christ our Lord. Amen. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God. Ave Regina Celorum, Ave Domina Angelorum, Salve Radix, Salve Porta, Ex Qua Mundo Lux Estorta, Gaude Virgo Gloriosa, Super omnes vegiosa, valeo valde decora, et pro nobis Christum exora. The Prayer to St. Michael 
St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg thee through the intercession and help of the archangels St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. All Catholic, all the time. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network. Radio for your soul. I'm Blake Pellerin from Arrows Rugby, Houston's only 